That way I can argue with my grandmother and her and I both agree. And we argue about it. And I, I leave it to their, her, her parents to uh, explain how we can ask what she created that place in the mind. So um, I've been around a while, and I've been given seven minutes to speak, so I'm going to go ahead and start. Uh, my story is eight years, 1610. I'm not that old, but uh, 1610 is an important year for me because that was the year that my hometown was found in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Diane and I, my wife, still here, Diane. Um, we grew up and were raised in Santa Fe. Um, and I was raised a Presbyterian, which is kind of weird, being in, from New Mexico, being Hispanic. But there were some clear things that happened. Um, I remember walking to church every day. I walk along this road. It's called Agua Fria in Santa Fe. If you're going to visit, check out Agua Fria. It was part of what was called the Via, the uh, Camino Real. And the Camino Real was basically a trail that went all the way from Santa Fe down into El Paso, down to Chihuahua, down to Zacatecas, all the way to Mexico City. Uh, it took six months for people to take this trip back in the 16th, 17th century. Um, there's another trail that comes right by, and the church I grew up in, Westminster, was really situated right by two of those main trails. One was the Camino Real, the other one was the Santa Fe Trail, which back in the 1800s was the main trading route between Missouri, from Missouri, and, and New Mexico. And that trail brought uh, Colonel McKinney and uh, some 2,000 volunteer, Missouri volunteers to Santa Fe where they occupied and took over the city and became part of the United States territory. Um, that affected me because they brought along with them Presbyterian missionaries. And in 1867, the first Presbyterian Church in New Mexico was formed. And then in 1955, that church planted another church called Westminster Church, and that's the church I grew up in. I was baptized there, I was married there. And so I was, I've been, this is a confession. I've been a Presbyterian most of my life. Um, I say that hesitantly, as you'll, you'll find out why. Now, I tell you all this because, interestingly enough, I ended up becoming a missionary, a Presbyterian missionary, in Mexico City, uh, many, many, many years later. But just a little bit of background about how I grew up in Santa Fe. Back, I grew up back in the 60s and 70s. It was a turbulent time. I remember my parents and my family arguing about the Vietnam War and about all sorts of issues. My dad was uh, very much opposed to the war. He was very much a liberal Democrat who was very much supportive of Martin Luther King Jr., Cesar Chavez, very much involved in that. My brother, on the other hand, he was, he was, uh, he was all for the war. He was anxious to get into the war. He actually uh, was kicked out of high school four months before he graduated in order, and he went and he joined the army and went to Vietnam in 1968, 1969. Big mistake. <laughs> But um, that's my, 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 my older sister was actually going to Washington University at the time. She moved on, went to um, MIT and got a PhD in um, biology. She was the first Hispanic woman to get a PhD at MIT. Became a very, very well-known scientist to this day. Um, has worked at it. She actually ran a clinic at Harvard. But anyway, I tell you all this because I like to brag on my siblings. You know, that another sister became a judge. My brother and the FBI. But besides that, I, I compared with me, I wasn't even, I couldn't even get my first name right. Okay. Um, my name was Lawrence. Actually, if you look at my first name, it's L-O-R-E-N-Z. And you should know, in Spanish, it should be Lorenzo. So I grew up with everyone correcting me. My 
Uh, and I was not the brightest or the best and really struggled through school. Started hanging out with the wrong kids. Um, and when I say the wrong kids, I mean the wrong kids. These kids, we, our favorite thing to do is go knock rocks. We threw rocks at cars, we threw rocks at police. I had a friend that was arrested by the police for throwing rocks in. Uh, I was in cop that time. Just give you an idea of the people I hung out with. Um, I remember meeting a, uh, my friend, introduced me another friend who had just gotten out of a detention center, a state detention center. And this is, I'll never forget his quote. He said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't hate the police. I don't want to kill the police. I just want to hurt them. <laughs> and then he went out and busted out a, a window in a car and stole the purse. That's the kind of people I hung out with. I got arrested twice before I ended up out of high school. Um, my junior year in high school, I stopped going to school basically. I missed 90 days of school. Um, and was really headed in the wrong direction. I had another friend who shot um, accidentally, but he shot a guard in the detention center. Uh, so I had a number of my friends that went to prison for a significant amount of time. Others basically died from drugs and alcohol. Um, and just was headed down the wrong route. I mean, um, but that turned around my junior year also because um, the only class I'd go to was band, music. Love to go to band. It was in the mornings, first class I could go there, and then take off and hang out in different places in the school, uh, and not go to class as well. Uh, that caught up with me. Um, we're going to also we're going to go to a trip to all places in Mexico City, right? So this band trip to Mexico, I was looking forward to going there, and they, they brought me into the office the night before we were supposed to leave, and told me, you can't go, you missed too many days of school, uh, there's big ruckus about that, they knew my record, they knew the trouble I had, my parents were desperate to do something, they said, look, I'll tell you what we're going to do, you go to summer school, you promise you graduate from high school, and we'll let you take this trip, sure, why not, uh, of course I was lying, um, I, I didn't have any plans to change it. But while I was in Mexico City, we took this band trip to all over to Mexico City, played a few things in the band. Um, I met a girl, Diane. She became my wife. And um, it's kind of a weird story, but um, we, we met there, we started dating, and that really turned me around quite a bit. I remember, I remember as a matter of fact, I was in uh, summer school, I had to go to summer school, I was bored to tears in a history class, and I found myself daydreaming about having a family with Diane. And that really kind of freaked me out. I mean, like this 16-year-old, you know, single guy that liked to get into trouble. And uh, here I was thinking about having a family. And, and, but it really, uh, I began to realize I loved her. So I wanted to change. So I actually finished high school. I didn't even think I was going to finish. When I graduated, I was in the bleachers with my parents. And Diane and the rest of the class was, were getting their diplomas. I just called up my name. Oh, you did graduate. <laughs> so, so I went on to college for a few years, didn't do very well, wasn't really academically fine, uh, and uh, then uh, decided, you know, we wanted to get married, but we really just didn't have the financial means to do so, so I joined the Air Force in the last resort, and uh, went to, we, I finished up my training there, and I know I took off to Montana. She became a Christian, about, and then she started praying for and um, we met some friends in the chapel who were really Bible Christians. And Ron was a really neat father. I watched him, I watched him with his kids. They had a number of uh, children that they had adopted. 
And uh, I really, really admired the way he was raising his children. Him and I were working in a car one day, and I hit my knuckles up against the car, and I just cursed his streak. And I, to this day, I really have trouble controlling my mouth. But back then, I was, it was really bad. So I said all these filthy things, and in the middle of it, I said, Jesus Christ. And he turned to me and said, Jesus Christ is Lord once. And that really ashamed me, because I, I'd grown up, you know, with, with religion and with the Bible, and I'd been baptized, and I knew that Christ was Lord. And um, so I don't know how or when, but I remember, I remember the moment that I received Christ. I, was, I had a Bible, and I just randomly opened it to Psalm, to Psalm 40. And in Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for a while. It's the first verse in the psalm. And I thought to myself, I never wait patiently for anything. And I kept reading. And it said, he brought me up out of a horrible pit, and out of a mighty place, and he set my feet upon a rock. And he established my ways. And he put a new song in my heart. Even praise on the Lord God. And I remember reading those words, and then the thought was a prayer. I prayed, God, I don't know what Ron has, but whatever Ron has, give that to me. Well, I didn't know it, but I was asking for the Holy Spirit. So I was transferred from Great Falls, Montana to Biloxi, Mississippi. I was still with the Air Force. And I got in touch with a lot of really strong Christians there. We joined the First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi, of all places. I mean, I was a Presbyterian. We didn't know anything about Christianity, really, or religion. So we just went to the First Presbyterian Church. And we found out that we weren't really welcome in the front. But we snuck in the back. We found a lot of friends there. And there were heavy, heavy emphasis on mission. And so we got started getting involved in missions, conferences. I became a deacon. I became the chairman of the mission board. And before we know it, they had actually commissioned us, Diana and I and our children, to become missionaries. They sent us to Columbia International University for I studied missions. And they asked me to be um, evaluated through a church planning seminar to mission to the world. And there's no one said, hey, join us. And uh, we went through a long process. We had to go through an internship in Detroit. Uh, but we were accepted, and we went to Mexico City. Spent a year in Costa Rica and in Mexico City. Um, and it was a tough four years, but in other ways, it was a wonderful four years. I was at one point invited to become the pastor of, um, what was it, that pastor of, of outreach and visitation, what they called it. And it was a church at San Pablo Christian Church in Mexico City. Had about 2,000 members. And so there's a lot of work to do. I was, I was all over that city. Uh, and it's just so many stories I can tell you. It was a wonderful time. And at the end of that year, our team who was reaching out to upper class, um, started trying to start a church in uh, Reforma, literally right across the street from the, our, our ambassador. Um, they asked, they told me, they didn't ask me, they told me to go back to work for them. And uh, we had a little bit of disagreement about that. And I ended up resigning from the Mexico City team, and my mission board sent us to the border, where I was supposed to work in, in Juarez, but I ended up in Reynosa. Well, while I was in Reynosa, I found out that I had no more of an opportunity to work with the churches there than I did in Mexico City. I felt betrayed. We started arguing about money. I found out I didn't have control of my budget, that somebody in somewhere else had complete control of it and um, just didn't have any more trust in the board, so I resigned. Became a school teacher, moved my family to McAllen. It was back in the 90s. And uh, I ended up being really, really, I mean, I'd spent 10 years 
developing this, this um, career. But it had really become an idol. There was a lot of pride involved. Um, and so I became very angry and found myself committing adultery. And so I had to confess that to my wife, confess it to the church. We are going to an evangelical free church at the time. Honestly, I didn't want anything to do with Christians ever again. And, and um, so we went through a period of real heavy-duty recovery with, um, with that church. At the end of that period, and really I found myself at the same point. I found myself looking at Psalm 40 again, where it said, He, put me, he took me out of a whole pit out of the mire clay and set my feet upon a rock. He did it again. So the, the, the stories we have aren't all linear. They're very much up and down, up and down. So I've had my good times, I've had my low times, and my good times have been really good. And my low times have been really low. Um, but through it all, God has been faithful. And the story continues. We, uh, we, lived, we moved from McAllen to here about six years ago. And lo and behold, here I am, working with another church. So thank you for your time. I don't know if I made seven minutes. But <laughs> That's good. Do you want to pray for us? Yeah, let's pray. You want to pray? You said you wanted to pray. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in English and Father, we are so grateful for your mercy, your love, and your Father, you bless us for the misericordia of our Lord. We believe, Señor, y gracias a nosotros, a nuestra familia, y nuestros amigos. Ayudas Let's give Lawrence a round of applause. I'm grateful that we get to share our story. Um, and one of the most powerful things you have is your story. And I think that's one thing we want you guys to walk away with today. Um, no one else has that story. And so sometimes we get nervous talking about what we're kind of talking about today of evangelism, of sharing our story, sharing what God has done in our lives, because we get nervous that we're trying to, we think of ourselves like used car salesmen, um, trying to close the deal. But all I want you guys to see today is that you're just sharing what God has done in your life. And you can confidently tell people, I don't know what happened. I once was blind, but now I see. That's all you really had to do, to share what God has done in your life. Um, and stories are, are very, very powerful and captivating. Let me share one with you here. Um, has anyone heard of a guy named John Harper? John Harper, uh, born in uh, Scotland. Um, he uh, was a young kid when he was, when he was saved, before he, when he became a Christian. Uh, and he was constantly telling people about Jesus um, he was an evangelist. He was, he was one who was telling everybody he could talk to about who Jesus was. Um, but he also had a very eventful life where he almost drowned uh, several times. Uh, when he was two and a half years of age, he fell into a well. Um, and he was so uh, under that his mom had to resuscitate him, had to do the Heimlich on him. 
At the age of 26, he was swept out in the sea by a reverse current and barely survived. At 32, he faced death on a leaking ship in the Mediterranean. Um, and if anything, these brushes of, of, of uh, you know, moments with death have, have actually pushed him in his zeal to share the gospel even further, knowing that death is just right around the corner. Now, the reason Harper is this uh, interesting story is because he was on a ship with his, uh, with his little daughter, little Nana, um, or no, his cousin. And while he was on the ship, uh, the ship was starting to go down. And he told, it, he told his cousin to get on, on, the, on the escape boat to, to go, but he's going to make sure everyone else is okay. And that ship happened to be the Titanic. And while on the Titanic, he's now in the freezing water on this stuck on an iceberg and it says he clung to a piece of floating debris in freezing waters um, this man who's now telling the story about John Harper and saying and suddenly a wave brought this man near me named John Harper and the man called out man are you saved and this guy wrote no or said no I'm not and the guy shouted back believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and the waves pushed Harper away, but then a little later he came back again. And he said, are you saved now? <laughs> the guy wrote back and said, no. <laughs> Still no. And he yelled, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then losing hold of his wood, he sank into the water that night. And this man at a, a, at a prayer meeting shared the story and said, that day, alone, in the night, with two miles of water under me, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I am John Harper's last convert. As a, I mean, just powerful to his death, while clinging for life. But I think sometimes we think we have to be that <laughs> to be able to share our story. Here's what I want us to see. I mean, stories are, are atomic. <laughs> Stories have that much power. They have that, that perpetual energy to just power a city because stories actually can grab human beings' attention. When pastors share stories, usually eyes go up, <laughs> right? But because actually sociologists say that 30% of our time is spent daydreaming. All during sermons. No, 30% of our time is spent daydreaming except when we are engaged in story because when we are listening to a story, the story does the daydreaming for us. The story actually it captures us and it becomes this, um, this vehicle that transports us out of there. If you've ever read a book and you like, feel like you're in another world, all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm still in Waco, Texas, um, not at Hogwarts. Um, and so you're, 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 the story just makes music out of noise. And I feel like all of our life, there's just noise all around. There's just little bits of pieces of information that, doesn't, that don't make sense. But stories seem to weave these things together and they make music. So if I just went over there and just started hitting that drum as hard as I can, offbeat, it's not music. <laughs> we make music when we put things together and we make sense of it all. Okay, so I just want us to be able to say, like, to see that the story that you have is just so powerful. That you, and, and some of us will, say, will, will doubt that and go, like, well, I don't know. Um, my story is kind of bland or kind of boring. Um, I don't have this great, um, you know, capture of, of, 
I was once you know, deep down in, in the pigsty prodigal moment, and God saved me. You might say some of us might say, "Well, I never knew a day without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ." Um, that's okay, and we're going to talk about that. But I want you to see that no matter what your story is, whether you are are, are a prodigal or were a prodigal, are still coming are coming back from that, like me. Um, or whether you feel like you've, you have been never knew a day without knowing Jesus, your story actually matters. Um, and so I want us to be able to s- see that your story needs to be told in such a way that people actually um, are wanting to hear it. And so what, I think one thing that's helpful um, is that when you do tell your story, though, the most important thing when you tell stories is finding out a couple things here. Right here. This is the plot line for almost every movie. Um, you have a character who has a problem or meets a villain, but then he meets a guide who gives him a plan, calls him to action, and then ends in success. <laughs> That's like every story. You can think of like Hunger Games with Katniss and uh, Haymitch is the guide. Um, you can think of uh, you know, Star Wars with Luke Skywalker. You know, he's trying to figure out, you know, he's trying to fight this evil force. He meets the guide with Yoda. Uh, who gives them the plan, trains them, goes to action and success. And they have the, the beautiful music at the end, okay? Um, the, pretty much all stories kind of follow this same similar plot line. But I want us to think about our story in this regard. And I think sometimes when we think of our story, we want to begin with the character, and we, we get it wrong at the beginning. The character when we tell the story is not us. We want to tell a story, and so you can see that we, a story is like about how great we are, but we really need to put ourselves in that guide position part. We want you to see yourself as Yoda, not Luke Skywalker. <laughs> we want you to be able to, to become the person who's actually able to share your story, to, to lead other people to faith, to say, here's what happens. But I think sometimes when we tell our stories, we want to say how great of an awesome time, uh, how great we may have overcome such obstacles um, and we put ourselves in that hero spot. Uh, But I think what's helpful here is to say, okay, something great's going on here and you have the power to share even a mundane thing. And I heard this um, from another person in this room here. Um, When they came to Baylor, they could have shared the story in such a way as said, you know, we we applied a couple times, but we didn't get in. And all of a sudden we got in. It's crazy how things happen. And it could have been like the most boring story ever. Or you can share it in such a way that you now put God, who's this, the actual hero in charge and who's re- reaching characters, obviously you, but you want to make people understand, put themselves in, the, in that position to then understand themselves and go like, okay, how do I fit into this story? Because when you share a story, you want people to see themselves in it. When you read stories, you kind of want to see yourself as you're fighting these, these uh, things like that. And so when you share it, you want to be able to say like, okay, it's not about my grand success story. Let's talk about what God's doing. Did you hear that God overcame all of these obstacles? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God finally opened up the doors to allow me to come back into Baylor. I, I can tell you all these success stories, but if, if I only share you, if I share it this way, let me, sh- let me show you one here. Um, the, the, the story was this. Um, I was about to give up on my son. I was about to just say, you know what, the Lord's, the Lord's not got him in his plans. I prayed for him for 13 years. And he keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And now he's doing drugs. And now he's got suicidal tendencies. I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm done. 
But I've been praying and praying and praying. And then goes on some retreat. And he comes back and he's a Christian. Then he comes a, it inspires him to be a youth pastor. Which then turns that one day he's going to be planting a church called Mosaic. This is my mom's prayer. <laughs> she wanted to give up me so many times. <laughs> but in that story, she isn't the hero. The person she's praying for isn't the hero. It's God who, it was, who was reaching this person as the hero. And she's sharing in such a way that says, like, no, this is what God has done. And we need, I think we need to be able to share it this way. And so look at the, the character. The character is not you. So when we're talking to someone, we realize who we're talking to. And so as you're talking to people in, in, in your story, realize, okay, is this the type of person that needs to hear hope? Is this the type of person that needs to hear uh, the sovereignty of God? Is this the type of person that um, is broken? Or is this the type of person who's very prideful and full of themselves? Um, do, they need to, <laughs> do they need a little cutting down? <laughs> um, and so you kind of realize who, who the character is here in this moment. Uh, but remember that God's the hero. But then the problem, the villain. Is it drugs? Is it doubt? Is it apathy? Um, is it skepticism? Now for Mosaic, as we tell the story of Mosaic, um, who is our villain? That river has become a villain. It's become a, a dividing wall for the city. And so that, 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 can, that, that, is, that is one villain that we've talked about. Not literally the river, but the river kind of symbolizes that. Uh, another villain we can talk about is the divided church, where 88% of the church is in segregated congregations. And that is another villain we can talk about. But try to figure out who's that villain in the story. Um, spoiler, when you are sharing your story, you are the villain. <laughs> really, no, you're... Whatever that, that sin is, that drugs, doubt, apathy, skepticism, whatever it might have been for you, that thing that you're saying, here's what I struggle with. Um, and Lawrence was very open and vulnerable with us to be able to share who that villain or what that villain, that problem was for him. Um, but then meets the guide. Again, I want you guys to see yourself as Yoda in this situation, um, which I know is hard because we might think of ourselves, yeah, but I'm not that wise and I don't speak in Proverbs. Um, <laughs> but miraculous testimonies um, we think sometimes make us uh, make us think that we are um, better than we are puts us in that position of the hero um, but when we talk about ourselves as Yoda you're then become you become less tempted to be Skywalker um, less tempted to place yourself as the hero but you can act as Yoda or Gandalf in this moment um, so I want you guys to place yourself in that position but then give them a plan. Give someone a plan of what that means. Okay, how do they then now become a Christian? Um, and again, I think most of us feel unqualified for this. How do I make someone become a Christian in this moment? Um, what, what is that? What do we need to do? And I want you guys to hear this. There's a guy named Daryl Johnson. He says, evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. You are not in charge here. You are not the hero. So evangelism is just joining a conversation that the, God has been having with this person for a while now. And so you come in and all you do is say, have you heard about Jesus? And then, how did you tell me this beautiful truth? <laughs> this great sermon you preached. It's very simple. I mean, when we talk about the, the, the man who, who had, was once blind but now we see, they're like, the, the, the council is investigating him. You know, how did this happen? He goes, I don't know what happened. All I know is I was once was blind, but now I see. Another person who says this way, D.T. Niles, says evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so 
in this Yoda position of giving someone the story of how to become a Christian, all you have to really go do is say, like, I don't know. I was once was blind, but now I see. That guy has bread, and I'm going to go get it from him. <laughs> like, this is where I found life. I don't know what happened. I was, I was in a dark place. But I came here, and Jesus has overwhelmed me with his love. And so I want us to be able to see it gives them that plan. But then that calls them to action. And I think that's important for us. I think this is where we struggle um, because I think we've seen evangelism become the door-to-door, hey, would you like to become a Christian moment? And so we, we tend to get away from that and actually ask people. But again, um, there's this odd thing that happens that when you don't ask someone if they want to become a Christian, usually they don't. But sometimes when you do ask them, they do. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, Romans 10.9 says, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so how do you then call them to action? How do you then say, okay, what, is, what does that mean? You've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, King over my life, but also believe that he's a Savior, uh, that God raised him from the dead, that he, he has paid for my sins. Um, those are kind of the basic things that we pray with people. And we, we ask them to confess their sins. Um, but then I says that ends in success. I don't want us to get confused that the, the fruit of evangelism with the actual evangelism. Because the fruit of evangelism isn't always ends in success. That's not, again, that's not up to us. Um, but the, the call for us is to, to share the good news. The call for us is to go tell people, um, hey, there's where we find bread. And so, I, but I, does it always end in success? No. Um, but when it does, <laughs> I want us to celebrate it. I think we should celebrate. And I think we are in a culture where we get so nervous about celebrating what God has done because we feel like we're manipulating things. At the same time, I think we also tend to not give God enough credit so that when God does something great, we don't share it. We don't testify it. So I think God, we should be testifying about what God has done in our lives. Yes, yes, share the good news. Share what God's done in your life. It, and it doesn't always have to be, here's how I became a Christian. It could be a testimony of, of a, overcoming a, 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 a sin that's gone on in your life. Or how God has reached someone close to you. It doesn't always have to be your thing. And so I think when we say share our story, the reason I'm saying story instead of um, go and share your testimony, we always assume testimony means just how you became a Christian. But you can take any story that happens in life. Any story of parenting and talk about what God is doing in the midst of that. And so all of us have a story that we can either share in a very mundane, kind of boring way. Or we can say, like, well, here's what God's done. Like, I feel like a failure as a parent. But somehow God is overriding my failures and it it is reaching my kids. And and he's in charge of them. Thank the Lord. I think that's powerful for other parents then to hear, like, okay, good, because I feel like a failure too. Um, we want to hear that. Um, and so this can be confusing because I think we'll not all remember this, but I think this is the, this is the generic stories of how things happen. But I give you this as just a very <laughs> basic. I think this, thing, this one's easier to remember. Beginning, middle, and end. Um, so really, who were you before? What's God done the middle? And who are you now? I think that is a very basic understanding and I think helpful way of, of then sharing our story. Um, I want to hand these out or I might ask Riley to hand these out for me. Um.
and on the back of it has some homework. Um, we'll, we'll do some classwork in it here now. Um, but I want us to be very intentional here because I think a couple of years ago, I was uh, uh, I work in the church world, um, and I pretty much realized that the only people I knew in my life were Christians, and I felt very bad about that. I kind of realized like typically your community happens in your home and your work. And in your church. Um, that's typically where you get your community. Your home, your work, and your church. For me, that was uh, all three of mine um, were in the same location, being a pastor. And so that became, that grieved me. And so I had, to, I had to intentionally seek out avenues to know people that weren't Christians. And, and go to gyms that were not, where I knew a lot of Christians were not at. And uh, try to enter into some musical spheres where, where non-Christians were at. I had to kind of intention, be very intentional about that. And I think for us, we need to be intentional about this, even if we're not pastors. Because your, your home, your work, and your church are typically where you get your community, unless you are forcing yourself to go to a fourth space, um, where you are now purposely seeking the, some people out. And so what I put there on, on the back of this um, is this mosaic map. And I know intentionality like this can feel forced. But then again, I think God was intentional with us. That before the foundations of the world, he was thinking of you and praying for you. Um, and so I think God gives us a good you know, map of how to do that. Um, and so I think I want you guys even right now. I, I, again, three years ago, I, I don't think I could put three non-Christians on that first sheet there. I, I give you that, that, that sheet there. It says, um, you know, an unbeliever, a skeptic, or de-churched. Um, this, I know it's hard to know people's hearts, whether they're Christians or not. But can you put three? Can you put five? I put ten spaces there. I couldn't fill ten spaces. Um, can you, one, it's hard to remember names, but two... <laughs> Can you do that? Can you do that right now? Are you able to start writing in some of those? And let's see how many you can come up with. Because um, I want us then to, once we write these down, these are the people we want to engage. If you can't fill it out, then this is your homework. Is to find spaces, whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's um, a, a gym, whether it's your neighborhood. There's a really good book about, uh, called Love Your Neighbor, and it says, what if Jesus call to love our neighbor was really explicit and it has, has, has you uh, neighbor uh, map your neighbors and so who's the people that live right here could you name could you write all their names the people that live all right around you the um, what is that nine spaces the eight spaces around you your house um, if you live in that type of setting um, that's hard one to know all your neighbors just to know them their names but then it was like, but can you also say what are their joys and fears? What, where are they at spiritually? Um, so, can we write those names down? If you can fill out that first section, all ten, whew, you are on the right track. And so here's what I want us to do. Um, this is, again, we, 
I'm putting here uh, the engage, then you have the explore. That's where you just start exploring spiritual conversations with someone and saying, like, hey, where are you at? Like, what's your spiritual journey? Do you, do you hate church? Were you, um, have, did you ever go to church? What, where, who's God to you? And then you go to the following section of the express and actually express your, your story of what God's done in your life and actually tar- start talking to people about this. I know this is super uncomfortable because no one likes this, because no one likes to have confrontation. Um, I, when I first became a Christian, I, I was the um, all out, and I told my older brother, like, why don't you believe? And I just, like, I, I hammered it. And I burned that relationship. Um, and so from then, I've like been like scared to ever bring it up again. Uh, but that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, in the last five years, we've had more spiritual conversations, and it's been really cool. Um, but it, it's because I didn't go straight to the, um, the express. I mean, like, hey, here's what God's done in my life. Why don't you believe? It's been kind of more steps into that of, what, you know, where are you at spiritually? What's going on here? I think that is much more natural and much more organic and much more relational. You're showing, I love you despite whether you believe. And so one of the things we've said before here is that we want you to feel like you belong before you believe. And so my brother knows I love him no matter what, whether he believes or not. Um, but it's because my love for him, I want him to believe. Um, so here's what we want from you, though. In the next couple of weeks, though, if you can name five, I'll give you a list of ten if you have room or if you think of them. But if you can put five there... Begin praying for five. Begin praying for these five people that are unchristian, dechurched, skeptical, however that may be. And then after, as we are praying for them, begin with conversations, spiritual conversations. Why are we doing this? Because I, I, this is uncomfortable. But why are we doing this? I want you to see this. There's a tendency in, in churches to be with them alone. What's on the left is, is typical of, of the institutional church, of a, of a, of a larger church. Um, it's focused on ministry, to serve members. What we want to be is this church on the right, and it's going to ask more of us. But to, be, to focus, to serve others. Um, witness is something you do. Witness is something you are. So that no, it's not just something we go, like, let's go do a, an outreach, and we're done. That witness is always, is always happening in, in, in all these conversations. The gospel is propositional, it is. The gospel is incarnational. We can also live it out and show the love of Christ in that way. Um, evangelism is one of many ministries. Evangelism is central to all we do. Um, again, one I told you about how I didn't know many Christians, or I, mean, I, I didn't know many non-Christian, un-Christians uh, before. One of the impetuses, one of the, the things that spurred us to over our fears to plant a church was that we didn't want to be a part of um, just gathering other Christians from other churches and just doing marketing of saying we have a better youth ministry, we have a better worship ministry. Um, We wanted to actually see more people come to faith. And so one of the reasons that we are planting this church is that we believe that, and what we see in history, that churches, when they plant churches, new people start coming. That you actually see three times as many conversions in, in, in church plants. And so it, that, that encouraged us to say, let's do this, even though it's scary. <laughs> um, we, need church, we need Christians that are, that are buying to the mission. But the, the goal for this is to reach people that don't know Jesus. 
Um, and so it, it essentially all we do, internal focus versus external focus, maintenance versus ministry, success equals seating capacity. We don't have that. <laughs> success equals sending capacity. Um, and, and measuring ourselves not by how many people are here, but how much are we actually sending and, and, and going out. Um, you know, can we be a church that's about supporting missions versus participating in missions? Again, we're not trying to beat up institutional church because they, you need churches to support missions. But there is a tendency if, if that's all we do and we don't actually participate, we're like, well, I just gave money to it and we're good. Um, we want to make sure we are part of it. Um, low threshold for membership, high threshold for membership. If you're saying yes to these things, it's kind of a high threshold. Um, you know, attendance versus involvement, committees versus teams. Um, so I put all these up here just to, to give you a slide, kind of a re- remind us of, of why we're asking us, encouraging us to go out and, and actually engage in these conversations. Um, it's going to take some self-reflective nature of knowing your story, of actually sitting going, like, what has God done in my life? Which sometimes we can be so busy and so hurried, we don't have time to sit down and think like that. So it may just mean turning off the TV or turning off our phone. <laughs> And actually thinking, what has God done? What is the, what is the arc of my story? Um, and so, beginning, middle, end. Who am I? Or who, who was I? How did God reach me? Who am I now? And, it, and as Lawrence shared, I think beautifully, it's not always the, and now I'm all better. <laughs> um, it's actually powerful to be like, and now I'm str- I still struggle. But in that moment, I'm still clinging to Jesus, which is all I have left. Is Jesus. Uh, and I think that's very helpful for us to see. Um, and so it's going to require us to have a love for someone, but also even a boldness to ask, do you want to read the Bible with me? <laughs> I did that with someone two weeks ago, three weeks ago, who's not a Christian. And they said, yes. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten how this works in the Bible Belt. <laughs> One, that someone said they were not a Christian, which everyone assumes they are Christians. But for someone to say, I am not a Christian, and yes, tell me about who this Jesus is, was like, oh, yeah, that's, I know, yes, I should, I should have been prepared for this. Okay, <laughs> let's read the Bible. This is great. Um, but I want us to see that what really convinces people is not our perfection or not um, our rational arguments, but our willingness to just love them where they're at. I think people are, are, are moved by our love for them. Um, no matter where they're coming from. And so I think that's very helpful in when we hear their story. And so again, when I say know your story, really it's like a, we want to share your story so that you can invite them into the story. So we can ask them, what is their story? How did they grow up? What, 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 what struggles do they have? There's no bad question or hard question that the gospel can't answer. Um, the Psalms, there's a lot of times when the psalmists are just shouting at God. It's okay. You can ask your hard questions and God, he'll answer that. 